Well, good morning again, and as you know, we are kind of in a little bit of a different series, doing something different. Usually we open up and just kind of preach verse by verse through a a book of the Bible, Um, but we are in our third message on membership today, and um, we're going to have at least one more message on on church membership uh, as we kind of continue in this series least one more. Um, I kind of do this as I, as I go, kind of week by week, thinking about what, what do we need to cover, what do we need to say. But what we've seen so far is the importance of the church and her value, the importance of the church in our lives. We've seen the reason then why you should join a local church. But now we need to ask, what should we look for in a church? What should we look for in a local church, or, or which church should we join? We've kind of said that you should join a local church, but now it's which one should you join? And another way to phrase this is maybe to ask, why join Grace Bible Fellowship, which is what this message is called. Why should you join Grace Bible Fellowship? And this is going to be kind of two parts um, to this kind of series. I want to give you kind of two messages that kind of tell you about our church and who we are. You know, I hope by now, as we've kind of been going through this series, that you're passionate about the church. I hope you see that Christ is building his church and that, and that he loves her. And that you see the, really the enormous privilege that it is to be part of the body of Christ. And I hope you're convinced, at least I, I really do hope that you are convinced that you should be a member, that you should commit yourself to a particular local church to serve the Lord in that place. And I hope you're ready to make that commitment to serve and minister together with another group of believers so that that together you and that church can serve the Lord and glorify him and really be all that we are called to be as a local church. I hope you're ready to make the affirmation of commitment that's on page 21 of our membership booklet. And, And if that's not at our church, then at least at a local church. But really, I'd, I'd love it if you would desire to be part of this church, which we call Grace Bible Fellowship. So I want to ask this morning, kind of by way of introduction, what should a Christian look for in a local church? And when you think about that question, I, I think a lot of answers could be given. Uh, almost as many answers as there are people, and, and maybe even five or six answers for each person, but here's just kind of things that I just wrote off the top of my head, you know, think questions that we could ask ourselves as we're thinking about which church we'd like to join, you know, does it have the programs that I like? Are the services short and encouraging? Or are they long and painful to earn me some extra merit? You know, you can kind of, however, you can kind of spin that in whatever way you prefer, do, do they have the music that I like? Are they singing the, the hymns that I like? Or do they, are they rocking the way that I like? Or, or whatever you, your preferences in music, do they have that? Are they going to keep me accountable? That's maybe a question that's often asked in, in joining a church. Or on the other side of that, are, am I going to be able to hide there? Are they going to leave me alone so that I can just kind of do what I want on Sunday? I can just show up and nobody's going to bother me and I can kind of get out of there quick and no one's going to ask me about my attendance. You know, different ways that, that people think about joining or what church do I want to join. 
And those are all preferences. And, and like I said, we could come up with a huge list of preferences, but they're really not what we should look for in a local church according to Scripture. Now, last week, we talked about how membership is a two-way street. In, in other words, you should be thinking, how can I contribute to the church? And, and not just asking, what will the church do for me? Right? It's, it's not just about you. It's also about us as members serving and, and being part of the church. It's not all about you and what you want. But in a sense, it is about you as well. You need to think about what is the church going to do for you? How is the church going to contribute to your spiritual life? And so when you think about, you know, what can I contribute or, or where could I join? Where could I partner? You need to think about, you need to think of it in terms of a partnership. You need to think, where can, where can I be most effective and fruitful in my Christian life? Where, which church am I going to serve with where I can glorify God in the greatest way? Where can, where can you serve and multiply your contribution? Where can you grow in Christ and therefore magnify your ministry? And so it's not all about you and your preferences, but you do need to think in terms of what will the church do for me or what should the church do for me? See, if you're going to commit to serving together with a local church, you really should ensure that that church is on the right track, that it's heading in the right direction or doing what God has called the church to do. And so then you need to know what God has called the church to do. What is the church supposed to be? What's supposed to happen there? You see, you don't want to commit to serving the Lord together with a church that's doing it wrong. And, and yes, there are churches that are doing it wrong and there are churches that are doing it poorly. They're not functioning according to God's design for the church. And so you don't want to commit to the wrong church because really what's going to happen is you're going to end up being less effective. And, and you're going to, you know, at least the way that, that I say it is you're going to spin your wheels. Um, you know, the other day, actually, I walked out of church. I don't know if some of you might have been there in that moment, but I, as I walked out of church, there was a brother spinning the wheels of the, of this sweet van that he's got. And, and the, the, the wheels were just spinning, but he wasn't going anywhere. And that's kind of the idea that can happen to you in a local church. You can, you can just spin the wheels, do a lot of activity, but really you're, you're not getting anywhere. Nothing's, nothing's really happening. There's no, there's no, propulsion moving you forward and and you're just going to leave a, a big pile of rubber on the parking lot which I'm not at all upset about in case you're concerned about that brother um, <clears throat> lost my my place here so um you, you don't want to commit to the wrong church, you know, and, and really as I think about it, you, you can pour a ton of energy and service into your ministry and, and not produce much fruit. And, and really my whole early Christian life was exactly like that. I, I was very zealous and, and I, I did a lot of things, but I had, there was really no wisdom. 
There, there, I, I really didn't know what kinds of things I should do. And so I, I poured my energy, very loving. I, I was trying to serve the Lord. I wanted to do good. But I, I did a lot of things that in the end just weren't very fruitful. I just kind of did whatever seemed good to me at the time, whatever I wanted to do at the time. But I didn't really even know enough to know that I didn't know what I was doing, if you could follow that. I, I didn't even know that I was just, I, I didn't know that I didn't know. And so I just, I poured my energy into things, but it, it really did not much at all. And, and you can do that as a church as well. A whole church can be doing many, many things, many programs, but really producing no spiritual fruit. Now, I'm not nearly as energetic as I was back in those days when I was about 20 years old, and really only Jody knows the, what I was up to in those days, but, but I'm, I'm less like a chicken with my head cut off, you know? Uh, I, I don't have many, maybe as many gospel conversations as I once did, but when I do have a gospel conversation, I actually know the gospel and how to explain it to people, and so it's more fruitful. And you can kind of join a church like that where everyone is kind of doing what's right in their own eyes. And what happens is that everyone ends up being at cross purposes with one another. And so one ministry might teach that the spiritual gifts have ceased and another ministry in the same church might encourage people to speak in tongues. And, and, and what's happening is the whole church is at cross purposes with one another. And, and really, you can just kind of put out any doctrine and that can happen in that way. Multiply that kind of idea by every doctrine and every practice, and, and you'll soon see the potential for really not serving together as a local church, but almost serving against one another. And some churches really almost do serve against one another rather than serving the Lord together. And so you don't want to be part of a church like that, and, and I don't want you to be part of a church like that. You, you really don't want to be part of a church where you feel like you're working against the church or where you're working against its leadership to move in a biblical direction. You want to feel like your church, the church that you're part of, is moving in a biblical direction. You don't want to be part of a church where you aren't or where you can't grow in both knowledge and practice. And that's really so important here is, is this idea of growing in knowledge and practice. You want to find a church where that's happening throughout the church. Now, sometimes a lack of growth can happen even when, when we're part of a good church. You know, it's not always the church's fault, but we should try to commit to a local church where we can grow and where we can join them and serve the Lord together with them. And we want to really, and I think it's so important for our Christian life, we want to be part of the best church that we can possibly be a part of. You see, we should be, or, or sorry, what should be happening is that we should all be growing in the Lord. We should all be growing in both our knowledge and our practice, and, and the growth should happen through our primary time together, the Sunday morning service. Now, it should happen through other ministries and other means as well, but, but really what should be happening is that we're all coming together on Sunday and we're hearing the teaching from God's word. And as we hear that teaching, we're applying it to our lives and, and thereby we're growing. And then as we're all growing together, we become more and more effective at serving the Lord together. And so other ministries contribute as well, both formal ones like men's ministry, men's ministry and women's ministry, and informal ministries like fellowship 
and discipleship. And through these, we're equipped for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4.11. And then we minister, again, in increasingly effective ways. And through it all, as we all are growing together and maturing and becoming like Christ, the Lord is glorified. And so there's that double aspect of growth is growing in our knowledge and growing in holiness, uh, knowledge and practice, um, the, the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, like Peter puts it. And, and, and as that's happening, there's this exponential growth that happens as we all become more and more equipped for ministry and we serve the Lord better together. Now, all that being said, as far as, you know, the, the kind of thing that, that I think we need to look for in a local church, we need to remember as well that, that there is no perfect local church. And I, I think that's really important for us to say as well. There is no perfect local church. The church in heaven is perfect, but until we reach there, we're going to have the flesh in us and the remnants of our fallen human nature must be put off and we need to grow to be like Christ. And so there's no perfect church that's going to do everything right. There's also kind of on the flip side, just to kind of put it back on maybe on you guys that, you know, the leadership has a lot to do with where the church is, but to flip it around the other way, there's no perfect church member who will receive everything right. And so we need to recognize that. We need to keep both sides in mind. The pastors and elders aren't going to be perfect, nor are the members going to be perfect. And that's why we need to use this word that we've been using, commitment. When it comes to membership, we're talking about committing to serving the Lord together with a group of people. And, and so we can't give up one, on one another the moment something doesn't go exactly the way that we think it should. You know, membership, in a sense, is almost like a marriage kind of commitment. Some people even talk about the church covenant. Some churches use that kind of language, the church covenant. I, I kind of shy away from that language for, for one reason, but, but like a marriage... There should be communication and teamwork and perseverance where, where we're working together and we're committed to, to being a blessing to one another. But unlike a marriage, and this is where I, why I don't like to use the word covenant with, with our church membership. I like to, this affirmation of commitment. But unlike a marriage, th- there might be a time where a believer does well to leave a local church and commit to another one, one in which they're going to grow and they're going to be able to move together in a biblical direction. And so if and when it comes to this time that, that maybe it's time to, to leave another local church, we should make sure that we leave well. We should really strive to leave well. And we should communicate with the leadership and leave as peaceably as possible so as not to disrupt the church. Now, I want to kind of come back here to membership. I'm really just introducing the message here. But I want you to think about this. What should you look for when you're deciding to commit to a local church? What should you look for? What are you looking for? Now, last week I told you that the, the, what the reformers answered, that they, they looked for three marks of a true church. A few years ago, Phil Johnson, I don't know if you guys would all know Phil Johnson, but he's an associate pastor at uh, Grace Community Church. He works for Grace to you as well. A few years ago, Shepherds Conference 2018, he had a great message at Shepherds Conference called The Mark of a True Church. 
And that was from Revelation chapter 2. And actually, why don't we just kind of quickly flip over there. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2 to the church in Ephesus. The Lord says in verse 2, I I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. And I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And so Phil Johnson's message, the mark of a true church, and and the mark that he draws out from here is love for Christ, which is this idea of you have left your first love. It's love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one mark of a true church, or something that maybe you should look for in a church, is do they have love for Jesus Christ? And if we wanted to keep it at one, I think that's a good one, and it's, it's kind of right here from Scripture. But we need to, I think, expand on that and kind of draw out what does it mean for a, tr- uh, a church to love Jesus Christ. You know, if you love me, what, what, what is it? How does the rest of it go? If you love me, you will obey, right? And so I think if we kind of took this love for Christ and kind of expanded, what does it look like to love Christ? It means that we're going to be obedient to His Word. We're going to teach and preach his word. We're going to do exactly what he says in his word. And so I think we need to kind of expand from this one mark of a church, true love for Christ. And maybe we could go into what the apostles, or the apostles, the reformers said. Remember, I said there was, the reformers said there was three marks of a true church. The first one was a, a place where the true gospel is preached, where the, the word of God and, and, and salvation is happening, a place where the gospel is preached. Secondly, they uh, they looked at a, and talked about a place where the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are ministered biblically. The church is doing then in in that case what Scripture commands, and and actually for for John Calvin, those were just the two marks of the church. He he just talked about a place where the gospel is preached, and a place where the ordinance of ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper happened. But some others kind of expanded on what Calvin said and, and really applied what Calvin would have put under practicing the ordinances biblically. And they said a church is also a place where people are kept accountable to live Christian lives. And this was often equated with the practice of church discipline. And so again, a place where the gospel is preached, the ordinances are administered, and a place where Christians are held accountable to live Christian lives. Those are the three marks of a church. And so the, the church is a place where the gospel's preached, where the body of Christ is. And that means that it's a, a place where truly saved people are who are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark Dever, in his famous book, now famous anyways, laying out nine, he laid out nine marks of a healthy church. And here's what he said. And I really agree with these. This, these are marks of a healthy church. He said, number one, expositional preaching. Number two, biblical theology. Number three, the gospel. Number four, a biblical understanding of conversion. And then a biblical understanding of evangelism. A biblical understanding of church membership. Number seven, biblical church discipline. Number eight, concern for discipleship and growth. And number nine, biblical 
church leadership. And I think those are really good things. Expo- expositional preaching, his first one is really, you know, you could just say that's where the gospel is preached, but really expositional preaching is where we explain the meaning of a passage when we're preaching. So our, our teaching comes from the word and not just kind of jumps off of the word to kind of talk about whatever we want to talk about. And so expositional preaching where the meaning of a text is explained and applied to the people. Biblical theology would, would be like a right understanding of doctrine, that we would understand who God is truly and who man is and what the gospel is and, and, uh, you know, the, the, the persons of the Trinity and all of the things in our theology, what happens in the end, how should the church be, all of that. I think that's really, really important. Again, um, Dever has the gospel, which, which is a critical thing. And a, a lot of those other things would kind of come under the gospel. Uh, but nine marks of a true church, I think those are, those are good. Even though I, we might disagree with Dever on how to apply some of those things, I think that's really good. I think all of those mark a healthy church. Again, expositional preaching, biblical theology, a right understanding of the gospel, a biblical understanding of conversion and evangelism and church membership, church discipline, Concern for discipleship and growth and biblical church leadership. And you know, I, honestly, I think if we just had a commitment to understand and obey scripture, all of those other nine marks would just flow from that. So a commitment to understand and obey scripture. Now, another way to think about what to look for in a church, and I'm really, I'm still just introducing here, is we could think about what are we to look for in a church, and another way to do this would be to turn to the book of 1 Timothy. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy. You know, I was talking to a, a, a friend a while ago, and he was kind of struggling with the, the church that he was in. And I just, you know, I just encouraged him to read through the book of First Timothy and, uh, and just see what it says the church should be and should be doing and ask himself if that's what his church was doing. And if not, why not? And so I'm excited that, that you ladies are going to be studying 1 Timothy this year in the women's ministry because this is going to show you exactly what a local church should be. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to establish elders and really to get that church back on track. And Timothy's position would, would be kind of something like my position here at Grace Bible Fellowship. He's kind of like a sole pastor coming in. And he's coming in to set up elders and really establish the church. And so Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And so Paul is urging Timothy to stay in Ephesus. He's going to charge some people not to teach other doctrine. But in chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15, go and turn there for a minute. Paul says there, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you, Timothy, 
So that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, I like the legacy standard Bible translation of of verse 15. It says, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And so this, how one ought to behave, how one ought to conduct himself. Paul is writing to Timothy to tell him how to operate in the church as the pastor and how to kind of set up the church the way that the Lord would have the church set up. And so the idea here is how to live, how to behave, or, or what ought to be done in the church. And so First Timothy is basically a manual on how to set up a local church. Now there's some specific things that really relate to what was happening in Ephesus, but for the most part, what Paul lays out here is something that every church should do. Paul lays what, out what Timothy should do in the church. And, and the letter's written so that Timothy can read it to the whole church so that the whole church knows what Timothy should be doing and what he should be putting in place. And so both Timothy and the members of the church can know what Paul and really ultimately what God wants for the church. And it's interesting, and we're just going to kind of do this to consider the outline of the letter. And I, I gave the ladies that outline uh, in, in kind of like week one of your study of First Timothy. But it's interesting just to consider the outline of the letter and, and think about what a church should be and do. Here's how Paul wants things to be in the church. And so in chapter one, there's these instructions to Timothy concerning false teachers in the church. And so there, there's some kind of false cheat teaching happening and, and it's going on in the church and it's about the law and it's about genealogies and Timothy's gonna come and put an end to this false teaching right away. See, the gospel is not just for some exclusive group of Jewish law keepers or, or those who, who, um, you know, keep and obey the law and have a good genealogy. The, the, the gospel is really for everyone. And so one of the first things that should happen in a local church is that false teaching should be dealt with kind of almost like swiftly and, um, and properly and true teaching should take its place. And then if you go to chapter two, and so, you know, a local church should be dealing with false doctrine. In other words, they should be upholding the truth because the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. Then chapter two and three are instructions for, for worship, instructions for organizing the church. And Paul wants prayer for all, not just a select group. Again, kind of that specific thing that's happening in Ephesus. He says that, that men should pray and women should learn quietly with all submissiveness. This is where he says that he doesn't permit a woman to teach, not in the corporate gathering of men and women in the church. Chapter 3 is more instructions concerning organization. And here he gives instructions about selecting elders and deacons. And even depending on your view there, the wives of deacons or deaconesses. Elders and deacons, they must be above reproach. And so you need to think about in a local church that it should have elders who qualify biblically as elders who are going to be able to lead the church and manage the church and teach the church because an elder must be able to teach. 
And so a church should have elders or should be moving towards having multiple elders and, and those people must meet certain qualifications. And so when you think about what should I look for in a church, you need to think about the elders and the leaders of that church. Are they biblically qualified to serve in that ministry? A local church also should have deacons, which are servants who, whose lives represent the gospel well. And then in chapter 4, Paul gives instructions concerning teachers. And so again, we're, we're focusing on teaching here. And, and so the, the local church should be a place which, which has true scripture-based teaching for the members because that's the means by which the people are going to grow. And so in the church, the, the, they're supposed to have pure doctrine, which results in pure lives. Good doctrine, sound doctrine results in godly living. And so in chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And so teachers should be devoted to reading and exhorting from and teaching the scriptures. And so read the scripture, teach the scripture, preach the scripture. That's what should be happening in the church. And if that's not happening, that's not a, a good church to be a part of. Then in chapter 5, kind of starting in verse, um, I wrote in my notes verse 1, I feel like it's verse 2. But yeah, chapter 5, yeah, chapter 5 verse 1 to chapter 6 verse 2 there's instructions concerning members in the church. And so Timothy is instructed what to do with the various members of the church. And there's, so there's instructions on dealing with people who are in sin. There's instructions on caring for the widows. There's some instructions for elders. There's some instructions for slaves. And these are just kind of general instructions to Timothy on how he's supposed to care for the people that belong to the church. And then in chapter 6, there's instructions Concerning the man of God is how it's worded there. Paul calls Timothy uh, a, a man of God or the man of God, O man of God, he says. And so these are instructions for the pastor on, on what to teach and how to live in godliness before the members. Now again, I share all this so that you can kind of begin to see that Scripture has a lot to say about what a local church should focus on and how it should conduct itself. And so you could just read through 1 Timothy and ask yourself, does my church do these things? Or do we do these things? And if not, why not? See, these are instructions from God for his church. And Timothy is supposed to kind of get these things in order as he comes to the church. And so I encourage you ladies, as you study this book this year, ask yourself that. Ask yourself does Grace Bible Fellowship do these things? And if not, why not? And if you see something, then come and talk to me about it and remind me that I'm supposed to be getting those things in place because that's what we should be as a local church. And so that was kind of the introduction to the message this morning. We've kind of seen the marks of a true church, starting with the mark of a true church, then the, the marks that the Reformers had, the nine marks from Mark Dever, even more authoritatively, we've seen what Scripture says about the church, how the church of the living God should conduct itself in 1 Timothy. It's the pillar and support of the truth. And now I want to begin what's going to be a two-part series that, that talks about the distinctives of Grace Bible Fellowship. I've kind of come up with my own marks, and actually, 
I really drew these from, uh, I, I, think, I don't think I got them from here first, but I think it's published in um, John MacArthur's book called, oh boy, the only word I can think of right now is, is church. <laughs> um, I'm picturing it on my bookshelf right there in the back corner. Um, the master's plan for the church. There it is. The master's plan for the church. I, I, I believe that these distinctives, or at least most of them, I've kind of worked them a little bit myself, but I think these things kind of come from there. At least that's where you could find it. But these are our marks. These are, these are things that are specific to, to our church, our situation, but, but they're also really general enough that I think they should apply and could apply to other churches as well. And so, you know, you might ask, well, why would you have your own distinctives? Why not, why shouldn't we just use First Timothy? And, and really the reason is, is that Timothy's kind of very practical for the church in Ephesus. And I've, I've written these or, and I've put these to kind of be more foundational. Kind of our, another way that we call these is these are our foundational beliefs or our core convictions about core convictions that kind of make us who we are as a local church and, and what we strive to be as a church. And, and as you kind of see these things, if you can resonate with these things, then I think you, you could say, yes, this is, this is the kind of church or this is the church that I would want to commit to. Because these things are things that we really strive for and pray would be true of our church. And there's going to be six of them. I'm going to look at the first two today. And we're going to look at the next four uh, in about in two weeks when I'm back here. But these are foundational beliefs that I believe every church should have. And things that you should look for in any local church that you consider joining. And really everything that we do, everything that every ministry, every function, every service that we do as a local church should really flow out of these core convictions, these foundational beliefs. It's, it's really the why that we do what we do. And the first one that we have is that, that we as a church, we want to have a high view of God. Now I did cover these in an evening service, kind of a little bit more in depth, um, for about a, a couple of months or maybe even, maybe even about six months. We, in our evening services, we kind of went through these and we kind of dug deep into these. But the first thing, the first core conviction of our church is that we have a high view of God. And so what do you think about God? How do you view God? And where does he sit on the spectrum of importance in your life? Where does he sit on the spectrum of value? Of, of what is the most valuable? You see, the scriptures are clear that God is the highest being and that he is the supreme good. Second Samuel twenty two thirty one says that his way is perfect. And Deuteronomy 32, 3 says his work is perfect. And our Lord in Matthew 5, 48 says that he is perfect. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And that's really wonderful to say, but what we want to do and what we're striving to do as a local church is we're trying to live this out as a local church. You know, we can quote maybe the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number one, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that in the catechism is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We could quote 1 Corinthians 10.31. 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that we do, the purpose of our lives is to glorify God, even in the smallest things of eating and drinking. Or we could quote our Lord in Matthew 5.16 where he says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so people are supposed to see our lives and they're supposed to be able to look at our lives as Christians in such a way that they are going to honor God for the way that he has transformed our life. Again, our reason for living is to display the goodness and greatness of God. We are like reflectors where we shine back to God all of who he is to us. And so he blesses us and changes us and we reflect it back so that everyone around us sees his goodness and his greatness. But now practically speaking, what does this glorifying God kind of attitude mean for us as a local church? What does it mean when we say that we have a high view of God? What does it mean to apply this to our church? And I think really it means a lot of things. This is really the the first and foundational of everything. It means here that our our first aim as a local church, that, that first and foremost in our hearts is that we please God. You see, we are not here primarily to please men. We're not even here primarily to reach men or to help men or to serve men. You know, this church doesn't exist for you or for me, even though we are going to be blessed through this church, Lord willing, but it ultimately exists to glorify God. Our aim in everything is to please God. And what that means is that we must follow God's directions in his word. See, much of modern evangelicalism is really man-centered. Everything is focused on man, and they want to reach unregenerate man on unregenerate man's terms. Unregenerate means unsaved. And so often in a lot of churches, they want to kind of reach unsaved people on the basis of what unsaved people like or dislike. And what's happened in that case is that the focus has shifted from God and his glory to man and his needs, or from God and his glory to man and his good, and and I would even say his perceived good, because God is the ultimate good for every individual. This is important here. God has been replaced as man's chief good, and instead he has become a way or a means to getting good. And as James says in another context, he says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. God is the chief good. God is the one for whom all of this exists. This is the church that he purchased with his blood, and it should really be done his way. And you know, I've heard of churches, and I know of churches who are more afraid of offending men than they are of offending God. They're more concerned about being obedient to men than they are about being obedient to God. And when we see that and when we kind of pick up that sense from local churches, what it comes from is it comes from a low view of God. You know, a low view of God says, I know God's word says, but, you know, I know God's word says whatever, when, whatever you want to put in the blank, but we don't, or but, you know, whatever. We, we, you know, we know the Bible teaches such and such, but, and it, it really doesn't matter how you fill out the rest of the sentences, how you fill in those blanks there. 
If the Bible says something, God is saying it. And to say that we don't do it because is disobedience. It's really disobedience. It's really a form of arrogance, actually. Now, some forms of disobedience in the church may actually please men, and, and, and for the most part, I would say unregenerate men, but even at times it pleases people who aren't really maybe well taught in the scriptures. And so some forms of disobedience may be pleasing to men, but if it's disobedience, it doesn't please God, no matter how it is justified. Now, I know that's really strong, but and, and even as I say that, I, I see that there, there is a place in Scripture for slowly and patiently teaching a church the truth. And so I'm not really talking about that, that kind of an idea where, you know, maybe you come into a church and, and they have some unbiblical practices and thinking, and you're going to slowly and patiently kind of teach them the Scripture until they come to the place where they're going, hey, the Bible says this, but we do that. What's going on? And then you say, great, I've been, I've been praying about that for five years as I've been patiently teaching the word. I'm not talking about that, but I'm, I'm talking about where a church will say, I know God's word says, or, or even worse, I don't even know what God's word says, but I'm not going to find out. Do you, you, you kind of, you ever kind of been placed a part of that? Like, I don't really know what, what, you know, what we should do in this area or how a church should be organized as far as its government or how it should do this or that. I don't really know, but this is how we do it. And, and that's just, that just comes from, a, again, from a low view of God. We should never say we won't do it even though we know that God teaches it. Or we should never say that we don't know what God teaches and, and you know, I'm not really too keen on figuring that out because I have, I'm, you know, I'm a busy guy or whatever. Again, a high view of God means that we need to follow His directions in His Word. We must never think that we know better than God when it comes to building His church. We must not think that we know better than God when it comes to reaching the lost. We must not think that we know better than God when it comes to seeing the saints grow in faith and holiness, which is our, our mission and our purpose is to, to reach the lost and see the saints grow. And we must say and trust God and say, God knows best and we are going to do his work in his way. We're going to trust God, even though it offends men, we're going to trust God to work because we know that God works through his word. He has spoken and we're going to obey it and we're going to do it. And again, this high view of God means that we trust him to do his work, his way, and it means that we do everything that we do according to his word. And that then leads into our second core conviction, our second distinctive, our second foundational belief, and it's what we call a sufficient view of scripture. So number two is a sufficient view of scripture. Now, when we say a sufficient view of Scripture, we, we don't mean sufficient in the sense that we have a good enough view of Scripture, which is sometimes how that word sufficient is used. What, what we're saying here, when we say a sufficient view of Scripture, is we're saying that Scripture is enough. Scripture is all that we need. And as we think about what the Scripture is, there's a lot that we could say. You know, we could say that it's revelation, that God has revealed himself to us in his word, the Bible, in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. This is a revelation from God. God is speaking to us and revealing himself to us through his word. 
And we could say that Scripture is inspired, and it, and it is. It's, it's God-breathed. Our statement of faith, our, our what we teach statement says, quote, the Holy Spirit so superintended the human authors, and it's talking about the Scripture, that through their individual personalities and different styles of writing, they composed and recorded God's Word to man without error in the whole or in the part. And so the Holy Spirit superintended this such that, that it's ultimately God's word. The source of the Bible is from God himself. God speaking through the prophets, speaking through the human authors, using them to compose what ultimately he wanted and what he says. Now we could say as well that not only is it revelation and not only is the scripture inspired, but it's also infallible. And when we say infallible, we mean it in the older way that that Scripture is unable to lead us astray. We could say that the Scriptures are clear, and, and because they're clear, they don't lead us astray. They don't lead us into error. They lead us into truth. And all of that is true, and we believe that, and we declare it, and it's in our statement of faith. We believe the Scripture is revelation from God to men, that God Himself is speaking to us in His Word, through His Word. But we frame this core conviction as a sufficient view of Scripture because it's really important to go beyond inspiration and beyond inerrancy and to acknowledge that the Scriptures are sufficient. And that is, again, to say that the Scripture is enough. It's to say that the Scripture is sufficient is to say that we don't need anything outside of Scripture to tell us how to live or tell us how to to be a God-glorifying church. And what that really means when we come, when we come down to it, it means that we don't need marketing techniques. It means that we don't need business strategies. We don't need worldly wisdom. We don't need modern psychology, which is based on an unbiblical view of mankind. We don't need entertainment or some kind of a, a cool and popular style that kind of changes from generation to generation. We don't need to be hip. And I, I rejoice in that one greatly. We don't need to be hip. We don't need any of those things. What we need, all we need is to understand and preach and believe and apply the word of God. All we need is to open the, the word and let God speak. All we need is to understand and explain and exhort with the text to communicate it clearly and show what it says and what it means and apply it to our lives. And this morning I kind of went through, I was going to put a little Luther quote into my sermon this morning, and I put it in my printing, but I didn't actually print that additional page. But Luther says in one place, they ask him about, you know, all that had happened in the Reformation, and what is the source of this thing, and and what do you kind of attribute this to, Luther, this mighty work that, that changed the world, really, the known world at that time. And Martin Luther said something like, I did, I did nothing says, while I slept, and then there's a, usually good Protestants put a dot, 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 and in that dot, 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 it says, while I slept and drank Wittenberg beer with Philip and Ams, I think his other guy's name is Amsdorf, so while I slept and, and drank beer, um, good, good Lutheran um, reformed guys, um, while I did that, I, he said, I just, I just taught and preached 
and wrote God's word. And, and besides that, I did nothing. Now, that, that's pretty close, but it's not, it's not 100%. So maybe I'll throw it on our, our WhatsApp group later this afternoon. But, but really, the, the, the Reformation, the revivals in church history, whenever God is working, really all that's happening is that, that the word of God is being unleashed and people are understanding it and learning it and applying it to their lives. And God's Holy Spirit is transforming people through his word. And that's why Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, we would call that preaching, and to teaching. Or in 2 Timothy 4.1 and 2, this solemn charge to Timothy again, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom... What a charge, right? By, by God and Christ and by his appearing, by this, this, with this threat of judgment of the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom. What does Paul tell Timothy to do? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. You see, there's a church growth strategy worth pursuing is just preach the word. Unleash God's word and he will save sinners and he will grow them to be like Christ and he will make them effective as they commit to serve the Lord together in a local church. And actually, I just quoted First Timothy 4. I want you to actually turn there. Uh, sorry, I've quoted Second Timothy 4 and I want you to turn there. <clears throat> I just quoted chapter 4, verse 1, that solemn charge. But just before that, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we really can't speak about the word without coming to this text. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Really all things that, that Paul hits on in verse 2 where he says, Preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's what the word of God does. So you preach the word, that's going to happen. But this is what the scripture is profitable for, for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I think you know these verses well. It says scripture and, and really all of it comes from God. It's it's inspired by God. It's his breath. It's God breathed literally. Breathed out by God, I think, is a good translation in the ESV. Scripture is God breathed. It, it really comes from God. The source of Scripture is God himself. And because of that, it's profitable. It's beneficial. And it's going to teach, and it's going to reprove, and it's going to correct, and it's going to train in righteousness so that we can live lives that glorify God. And it does all of those things in verse 17, that the man of God, so that the man of God, in order that the man of God, and this is a reference again to Timothy, who Paul calls man of God, but really it applies to any believer, male or female, male or female, you can be made complete through the word of God. Any believer may be complete or equipped. And those two words kind of speak of being made able or being made ready and note this, that they are made ready, they are made complete, they are equipped for every good work. Every good work. You see, Scripture is enough to prepare us 
and our church for every good work that the Lord wants us to do. And because of that, we need to preach that word, we need to teach that word, we need to make sure that the word is central in everything that we do, in every ministry that we have, even in our fellowship with one another, we need to bring the word to bear on one another's lives, and through that we're going to grow and God will be glorified. And so again, the scripture is sufficient. And that's why we focus on expository preaching, that we need to bring out of scripture what's there. Since Scripture is God's Word, it's profitable. And compared to what's profitable, if you think about it, other things are not profitable. And so practically speaking, this means that we're going to point you as a church to Scripture to handle the problems and difficulties and trials and even sins in your life. It means we won't say, oh, we can't help you with that because we aren't psychologists. We, we, we don't... We're not going to send people to what, what's called Christian counseling. Now, it sounds good, but Christian counseling is really secular psychology of kind of one sort or another, and there's, there's various sorts there, but Christian counseling is secular psychology of different sorts with some Bible verses slapped on to make it sound biblical, and, and we're not going to send you there. We're not going to recommend that. Now, that doesn't mean that, that I personally know how to address every possible issue and trial and sin in, 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 um, in every person's life, but it does mean that we believe that Scripture is enough to help, even if we need some extra help to find the Scriptures that are going to address those issues. But we believe the Word of God is enough that we can be everything that God wants us to be, that we can handle every trial that God sends our way and allows in our lives. Now, again, when you think about this, all churches, or at least most churches, are going to say that they believe in the inspiration and, and maybe even in the sufficiency of Scripture. But what we really believe is going to be shown in our practice. And this is where the, the rubber meets the road here. This is what's really important. Do we really preach the Word? These are questions we need to ask ourselves as, as a local church. Do we really preach the Word? Or do we kind of springboard off the word to talk about something else? Do we really counsel with the word and disciple people with the word? Or do we pass people on to other types of counseling? Are we concerned as a local church about truth? Are we concerned to ask, is it biblical? Is, is this what the scripture really teaches? And are we concerned with obedience to that? Again, do we disciple people with the word or do we focus on other ministries and works and largely ignore the word? Grace Bible Fellowship as a local church, we pray that we will be a local church who has a high view of God and that it's going to be shown, that high view of God is going to be shown in how we handle his word. And so if you're looking for a local church to commit to, you want to ask yourself if you can see evidence that they have a, a 2 Timothy 2.15 kind of church. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul tells Timothy there to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And rightly handling the word of truth means also following through with obedience and doing what it says right. Not only getting the meaning of the scripture right, but also applying it rightly to our lives. And so Grace Bible Fellowship is a church that's committed 
to a high view of God and a sufficient view of Scripture. We believe that we need to obey God and hear Him in His Word and that the Scripture is all that we need. We don't need to add more. We don't need to look outside of that. Scripture has everything that we need to live in a way that glorifies God and to be a successful church, not in men's eyes, but in God's eyes. Now, next time when we come back, we're going to cover the final four distinctives and the four other core beliefs of our church that really kind of flow from the Scripture and flow from this view of God that He is Lord of all. He is Lord and head of the church, and so we need to follow His directions. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank You for our time today in Your Word, maybe not in the way that we normally are, but we believe that these things are, are drawn from Your Word, Father. And we pray that we would be this kind of church, that we would be a church that has a high view of you, that never makes excuses for not obeying you, but is patient and teaching and gentle. But Father, we pray that we would be what you want in a church. Because we recognize, Father, that it's your church, that Christ is building his church. And so we want to submit to you, Father. We say that your way is the the ultimate way. Your way is the right way. We want to do your work your way. We believe your word is enough, Father, and we pray that you would help us to live it and understand it and apply it and preach it and teach it and fellowship with it and that we would be exactly what you want us to be, that your word would make us complete and equip us for every good work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.